Welcome to Board Game Famous, the award-nominated board game podcast. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. Uh, we didn't win, uh, which you might know by the time this episode gets released, but we were nominated because... We're allowed to nominate ourselves, so we have... <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe we had two nominations. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to congratulate the winners. The winners have been announced, and it is uh, it was Board Game Barrage. They're a very good podcast. If you are looking for more board game content, they're in. They've got a couple hundred episodes, so definitely check them out. Shout out to Board Game Barrage. Uh, congratulations! Uh, it was a close race between us and you. <laughs> we'll get we'll get you next time. We'll get you next time. <laughs> mostly, mostly because once you win as a podcast, you're not allowed to win it again. <laughs> Well, we start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? We got together recently, and by we, I mean not you and I, but some of my board gaming friends out here in the Carolinas. Yeah, because I'm so far away. So far away. And we got to play a board game that is one of my friend's favorites, but we only get it to table every once in a while, which is Dominant Species. Dominant Species designed by Chad Jensen, and it was released by GMT Games. I believe it's a top 100, correct? Or at least it oh, was yeah. at one point. Yeah, it, well, you're right. It is at one point. I'm staring at my poster right now, but that poster, my poster is a few years old at this point. I don't think it's been edged out, but yes, it's a top 100 game. So it is historically highly regarded. Um, it was released 12 years ago at the time of recording. Hello to the future listeners, where it's more than 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> but still highly regarded, and we've talked about it before, in the cult of the new, some of these old classics don't necessarily get to the table, but it's one of my friend's favorite games. And so we get to the table every once in a while, and we got it um, to the table, and we hadn't played it for a while, so it took a little bit of rules clarification, but it was pretty nice. And we got playing. And this game is a action cue worker placement, hex exploration, area control kind of game. I just threw a lot of mechanics out there. I was going to say, I was going to say, how many more buzzwords can you fit in there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Open drafting, end of game bonuses. Are you just Uh, reading the mechanism? Are you just reading the mechanisms off of BGG now? I am now. (laughs) (laughs) So in this game, you play a different animal species type. So I played as reptiles. One of my friends played as insects. Someone played as mammals. You play as different species types within the animal kingdom. And you all start on this small map of hexagons where the center is frozen tundra. And there's all these different biomes surrounding the tundra with different food sources. And during this game, you are exploring outwards from that center, trying to improve your species such that they can become stronger and better adapt to the scenario while edging out the other species that you're competing with in the world. And there are a few things that I really like about this game. Is So, so one of the first buzzwords that I used was action cue and uh, worker placement. 
So this game happens in a couple phases, and the worker placement part is there's a series of actions, and unlike most worker placements, whenever you place your worker pawn, uh, instead of resolving the action immediately, you wait until all the pawns have been placed, and then you resolve all the actions from top to bottom. I think the game is well designed in the way that certain actions come before other actions, and so it really lends itself to good balance to, oh, hey, you can focus on these kinds of actions one turns and then focus on these kinds of actions another turn. Another thing that I think this game does super interestingly is the power on tiles is decided in two different ways, and it may matter in two different ways. There are who has the most of their species cube on a specific tile, and which species has the most food types that they can eat from at that tile. And so, you know, every single time we play, we have to be constantly reminded that, hey, just because you have more people here doesn't mean you can eat all the food. <laughs> I can eat more resources than you can. In that regard, I'm stronger than you. So, <laughs> And it was really nice whenever my friend taught the game because he's like, all right, we haven't played this in a little bit. These are the things that get you points because every round you're just – it's all about getting points, all about getting points, all boring tiles, getting points, getting stronger, multiplying, all that kind of stuff. Are all your pieces little cones? Uh, there are. All your pieces are cubes, cones, and cylinders. Because every time <laughs> I see this game laid out on the table, I can only think of cones of Dunshire. The cones represent your dominance. I'm not explaining Ooh. what that means. <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> that is one of the ways of calculating power. <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you what that gets you in the game, because then I would just be explaining the rules to dominant species. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I assume way, is like a 30-minute lecture. <laughs> if you've never played before, we'd be here a while. <laughs> uh, and this is not the Randy audiobook. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I really enjoy this game. I think the mechanics it takes a lot of interesting mechanics and makes them together very well. Knowing that it is in the top 100, I can totally see why. Uh, I've never won, but I've always had fun playing around with it in different fun, silly ways. So, David, what you been playing? I've played a game that I did not like. It is one of the worst games I have played in a really long time. And I want to be clear about something. I like being needlessly divisive. I like to make fun of games that I don't care for, but I can still recognize them as good games. Uh, I've had an absolute blast playing Zombicide. I know uh, we had a we had a listener write in about our asking what our opinions were on Zombicide, and we did not have high opinions on that. But you know what? You could convince me to spend an evening playing Zombicide all all evening. I would I would enjoy that. Uh, I've talked about not liking Seven Wonders or deck builders with trade rows i would play those games but voices in my head by cory kanezka published by unexpected games was an experience that i don't think i will ever want to sit through again and this is going to come off as this is going to come off as pretty tough on a game that i've only played once but it was so bad i don't want to sit through it anymore I've got other fun games that I can play. I don't need to play it more than once to give it a bad review. <laughs> so you just said that you 
would play games that you don't necessarily think are great games or even good games with people that you enjoy playing with. What's different about this game that makes you, one, think that it's not good, and two, makes you not want to play it again? In Voices in My Head, the players take on aspects of a single person who is on trial. So it's kind of like an inside-out situation where people, somebody's the joy or somebody's the anger of the defendant, and they all have different goals. And one player plays the prosecutor trying to make sure that the defendant ends up in jail. Voices in My Head is a social deduction dexterity game, which is a very strange combination of mechanisms. It's a mix that doesn't that isn't seen anywhere else. And I applaud Corey Kineska and what he's doing with his company, Unexpected Games. He is going out there and creating games that are unlike anything else in the world. It is going to be a unique experience playing these games. Unfortunately, this one fell really flat for me. When you're playing an aspect of the defendant, you have a goal, either to get a majority of the jurors to convict him as guilty or a majority of the jurors to say innocent or some combination of those two Uh, maybe it's like oh get exactly two people to say innocent something like that and you do this by sliding your discs onto several platforms of the game board because the center of the game board is the defendant's head and elevated above that is this clear plastic Uh, flat surface with a brain printed on it to show that you're all the aspects just to remind you you're all you're all part of this guy's thoughts and feelings and you have discs that you can slide onto little little ledges off the platform and there's just a little area control going on where you're sliding discs and people are sliding discs onto the same area of the brain and these areas correspond to things like planning observation instinct and motor skills, things like that. When you say sliding, are you describing it in a fashion uh, similar to shuffleboard, where it's a vigorous sliding, or you just—is this more of like pushing? Like, yeah, that is shuffleboard would be would make this game a little bit more exciting. You set your disc down, and you take your little paddle, and you slowly push it up to the edge until you, until your paddle hits a little bar, says, oh, this is as far as you can push your paddle. Your disc is now on the, the platform. So, kind of like the coin game at all those arcades. Just like that coin game. And man, I wish I got Chuck E. Cheese tokens instead of, instead of this game. <laughs> Uh, Instead of disappointment. Instead of disappointment. (laughs) To be fair, you could still get disappointed at Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, have you tried their pizza lately? (laughs) I don't think I've been there lately. (laughs) This episode is not sponsored by Chuck E. Cheese. So each of your discs has a number on it. You have a few ones, you have a few twos, and then you have exactly one disc with a power of three. And at the end of the round, we evaluate who has the highest disc on each section. However, the prosecutor determines which areas are important for the round. They play a little card, and the aspects get to see two symbols. Those two symbols correspond to to the areas of the brain that we're going to be fighting for control over, or at least 
are important this round. We might see the symbol for motor control, and that means whoever has the most power in that area, whoever has the most valued discs on that part of the platform at the end of the round, will get to take a little action. You only have eight discs, so you get eight turns throughout the entire game. There's quite a bit of a disadvantage for going first, because if you push your disc out onto a platform, there's a high probability of it getting knocked off by other people sliding their discs in and yours just getting closer and closer to the edge until it falls off. And those rules together constitute my biggest problems with the game. First, you only have eight turns. So what you, what you need to do on your turn needs to be impactful. But you're only fighting over two areas. And if your disc gets knocked off, so sorry. A, a, a good chunk of the game for you meant nothing. You didn't do anything. Oh, I was so, so frustrated with that part of the game. Uh, it's, a, it's a disadvantage to go first because you slide your disc in the next two people. It only takes two other discs to slide and knock yours off. So you no longer have any influence in there. And at first, I didn't mind that as much because there was only, uh, because I knew, oh, first player moves each round. We'll have an even number of turns being first player or we'll have a similar number of turns being first player. One of the, one of the components of the brain draws lets you draw powerful action cards and a lot of those actions are name somebody else to go first and i was first or second pretty much every turn of the game and it's a huge disadvantage because you're just getting knocked off left and right another problem i had with the game is only two areas are fought over for the uh, for that specific round so only two people get an action at the end of the round, they get that special action that the prosecutor decided upon. And those actions at the end of the round are how you influence the jurors, either by giving them guilty tokens or innocent tokens, or the ever more infuriating thought bubble tokens. Because the thought bubble tokens are either guilty or innocent, but you don't have to show anybody. You don't have to show anybody what you're placing down on that juror. So, I, like I said, I went first or second most of the game. I got to take one of those special actions. Everybody else was piling on all those thought bubbles. So I had no idea what was happening throughout the entire game. Just because every time I placed a disc, it got knocked off. I didn't get a special action. Other people did. So other people were playing the game. It was as if I wasn't even there. And any game that that is tells you is like, oh, it's social deduction and effectively eliminates a player is not good and i know just for the listeners we talked about this before recording you know you know what the worst part is you want you want to tell them what the worst part is after all this david well i don't remember what we talked about the worst part is that you won the game oh yeah oh man i won (laughs) i had no idea what was happening i made i made one meaningful decision i got one special action the entire game that was it that was the first turn. And then after that, I never got... I was just sliding discs. Then those discs got knocked off every round. And at the end of the game, I won. I think there was... You, you don't necessarily win alone. I think there was another winner or one or two other winners. But I had zero control in that. Just because everyone's discs came out after me. You don't have to put your disc onto one of the platforms that's important for the round you can try and put your disc on a round that 
oh, that you might think come up later, one of the other platforms. But then you're just crowding that platform with disks that will likely get knocked off one or two pushes later. And if you're not fighting for those special actions that give you powerful benefits, you're wasting your turn that round. And you only have eight turns. Now, I will, I will say this caveat. We played on the one most beginner mode you possibly can because the discs have little special actions associated with them that we didn't play with. And there is a chance you could convince me to play again with those special disc actions, but I doubt it. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Yesterday. And one of my favorite quotes from that movie is the, the character is trying to get his song reviewed by somebody. And, and the reviewer goes, I hated it. But I wasn't interested in it enough to go back and figure out why. I feel like I've at least self-reflected enough to figure out why that I don't need to go back to it. And those are, those are my thoughts on voices in my head. Now I will say this. I applaud Corey Konezka for what he's doing with Unexpected Games. Voices in My Head was not his first game. Another, The other one was The Initiative. I think those are the two games under that company's belt right now. And The Initiative is getting really good buzz. I want to see more unique games. But I feel like this could have been playtested a little bit better. Even if the platforms where you're sliding your discs onto were just a little bit bigger, I feel like that would make for a more interesting game. But because it's so easy to knock discs off, it's no surprise who's going to control a round who's going to control a platform at the end. It was just, it felt really flat for me, and I don't I don't think I need to revisit this one. That's okay. We don't have to like every single board game. This next section is Game of the Fortnite, where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And what are we talking about this Fortnite, David? This Fortnite, our game of the Fortnite, is Time Stories, designed by Manuel Rozoy and Peggy Chassonet, published by Space Cowboy Games. Time Stories is one of the original escape room games. They're a dime a dozen now. You've got the Exit, exit series, you've got the Unlock series, you've got the Escape Room in a Box series. There's These, these you can find at Target, pretty much any, any game store sells these but time stories was the og escape room style game and it came in this giant white box with this crazy pod looking on it and with the name you knew it was going to be something exciting time stories it is a time travel game where you go back in time to stop anomalies from happening and in the core box you traveled back to an insane asylum in france to stop uh, to stop an anomaly from forming the game is played out by your you and your party traveling around a map trying to solve the puzzles of the story. And every time you enter a space on the map, you unlock a new beautiful panorama that is laid out in a series of cards. And each player sends their pawn to a section of the panorama and interacts with it, often given a choice, a clue, a combat, or some sort of puzzle that they have to solve. And players work together to face these challenges, use their skills that the that the people they're inhabiting uh, in that time period have to solve these puzzles, and try and beat 
the riddle in a single run. They try and un- they try and stop the anomaly in a single run. And by that I mean that you only have so much time that you are allotted for a run. And each time you take an action engaging with the uh, engaging with the section of the panorama, your time runs out. Uh, it runs down a little bit. And when you get to the end, you have to start over. And it's like a Groundhog's Day situation. Or if you're a fan of Tom Cruise, it's like a uh, Edge of Tomorrow situation. I made a joke here last time. I can't remember what it was. You did. Something about Tom Cruise. Oh, and that, that brings up an excellent point. You made a joke here last time. This podcast <laughs> feels a lot like Time Stories right now. Because we've already we've already recorded this episode. And then... And then I lost and power. At the before... very end, at the very end, we <laughs> lost, lost it all. <laughs> I lost power before I could save. <laughs> so this is this is a, a good reason that Time Stories is our game of the fortnight. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have chosen it. Funny, funny thing. Whenever I said uh, before we recorded, you mentioned that blah blah blah. What I meant to say was. Before we we recorded the second time, you mentioned in the first time <laughs> this one thing. <laughs> uh, uh, I remember the joke that I made, but I'm not going to make it again. It doesn't fit at this point. <laughs> See, I you're think... already you're already learning, and now you're doing better the second time, just like in Time Stories. <laughs> what interests me about Time Stories is, and for clarity to the listeners out there time stories has several missions the base game came with one and over time other missions were released and i believe these missions could be strung together in a particular order to have an overarching um narrative or something like that you could say that um but i wouldn't because while it was intended to do it intended to be like that it wasn't executed very well Okay, so the individual missions are more interesting than the uh, than the sum of the uh, the reasons you're doing that. But the mechanics themselves are sound for each of those missions. But for clarity, I've only played the first one. I played it very early in my board gaming career. It was with David and a bunch of our other brothers. Uh, we were hanging out together. He introduced the game to us. We got it set up. We learn the basic mechanics, and I would consider the DeVosses, the the sum of us, to be some pretty smart fellers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think this game is cleverly designed in ways that you really have to poke and prod and truly investigate. I don't th- I don't think any of these puzzles are truly easy. Whenever it comes to the investigation, I think, at least for the first mission, it was pretty well designed. And you can find something that is very intriguing that you want to look into more. And it could just end up wasting your time and you get nothing. It's, it's a dead end. And I, I think those kinds of story moments in a mystery mystery kind of game is, is really nice. I particularly remember a guy that I think he made us walk in circles or something like that. Is, is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do spoilers, but I think it's been about 8 years since this game came out, so I think we're I think we're fine. Uh Yeah, at least on the first mission. <laughs> yeah, and it used like 3 or 5 of our precious action points. <laughs> oh yeah, it drains yeah. it drains so much. 
And so we're huddled around the table trying to race and solve the mystery on our first. And we run out of time and we get zapped back to the future as space explorers. And we're chastised by mission control or whatever the hell they're called. Oh, his name's Bob. (laughs) His name's Bob. I love Bob. Bob's in every, in pretty much every mission, and he's never happy. <laughs> he's never happy. Super sassy. He chastises us for taking too much time and failing. So we jump back in. Well, actually, what you said was, "Hey, do you guys want to take a break? And we can come back to this later. Maybe you know, play some other games. Blah blah blah. blah. And we're like, no, we're gonna finish this. So we hop back into the time portal jumpy past inhabit people's bodies machine 2000 <laughs> too long of a name <laughs> and did that mission again and played it again until we were able to figure out the mystery and little minor spoilers skip ahead i don't know like 30 seconds i guess <laughs> is even even when you get to the very end at the very last last moment and you figure out who the bad person is they can ask you to join them and you can say yes and you failed the mission (laughs) (laughs) but since it's a co-op game at that point i would just say "Mm, we're not going to replay the whole mission just start right here again (laughs) you messed up you own this game i don't uh we played your copy how many missions have you played and what makes it special to you well i've played all of the missions I can't see it from my shelf to count it, but I believe there are something like 10 expansions for what is known as the White Arc. It's the uh, the first complete story. I think there's 10 missions total, including the one in the base game. And I absolutely love it. Uh, Time Stories holds a special place in my heart, because like what you were saying with, no, we want to play this again, we want to finish it. This holds a special place in my in my heart because... I had something similar happen with Ellen, where we played we played through the first the first run of the game. We ran out of time, and that's not an inconsiderable amount of time. It takes about an hour to get through that. It takes a full board game's length to get through your first run. And I asked Ellen, "Like, okay, we could put this away and we could play again later." And Ellen said, "No, I want to play again right now." It was the first game where we had ever played where it was like, no, again, we're playing this again. I want to keep playing. It's so much fun. And I think, so this was one of the original Escape Room games, like I was saying earlier. It has since fallen from grace because you can find Escape Room games, one, much cheaper, and two, everywhere. And the diminishing returns of an Escape Room game really hurt time stories. So once you know that puzzle, you're done. You know how to solve it. You've beaten the game. But with time stories, I think they have an advantage where the panoramas that you're exploring is just covered in beautiful art and it really immerses you in the game. I am not a thematic game player, but I get into time stories. I love the story and I love the puzzles. So while it, yes, it is more expensive than your average escape room game, because the base box of Time Stories is $40, $50, and every mission that you plug in is an additional $20, $25 on top of that, it gets, it gets costly. And if you're only going to play the game once, it's not worth it. But here's the thing. I don't play the missions just once. I enjoy things over and over and over and over and over again. My favorite movie, I watch once a month. 
My favorite books I read over and over and over again. My favorite songs I'll play on repeat for hours at an end. And the same is true for Time Stories. I have played that first mission probably more than anybody else in the world. I'm, I'm willing to claim that right now because I love showing this game to other people. Like you said, I played with you guys. Uh, I, I showed this to you and our brothers. That was not my first time playing. I had already played through with Ellen before. I just, I love showing this off. It's like, it's like your favorite movie and you show it to your friends and you're watching them to make sure they're reacting the right way to the right parts. I love playing through with new groups of people and I, I act like I've never played it before. I don't solve the puzzles for them. I offer up the clues that I saw on my sheet of card and I just love experiencing the games with them. And if I had stopped after one time, I would have missed some of my favorite gameplays of Time Stories. For example, one of the early clues that you get in the original box is Southwest, then Clockwise. That is a clue that you get in the first room, so it's not really a spoiler. And when it came time to implement that clue, one of our friends, Kenny, was playing. And he goes, guys, guys, remember, southwest, then clockwise. And then he proceeded to go southeast and counterclockwise, proving to be the absolute best and worst at this puzzle game at the same time. You're muted right now if you're reacting. <laughs> I'm going to send him a text to make sure he listens to this episode because I don't think he listens to our podcast yet. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to uh, Kenny. <laughs> shout out to Kenny. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Uh, and I would have missed that if I had only played through it once. I don't know if I've said it, but I think I'm in the double digits for going through uh, Time Stories, the, the base game. And all except for the last scenario, I believe I've played more than once. And... Not every, not every expansion's a winner. Not every mission pack's a winner. But each time I play through them, like multiple times, I can appreciate the design behind it. I can sometimes, the puzzles that weren't as strong, I thought, in the first mission, the, the first playthrough of that mission, I can see what they were going for and appreciate the design behind it. And the stories that they tell are fun. They're usually a little bit more on the horror side, a little bit... Uh, a little bit scary, but not not horrifying, because like I don't like scary movies or anything like this, but this has one, it's not a movie, there's not really going to be a jump scare, but but it, it does all this storytelling with its gorgeous art that I think you miss with other escape room style games. So would you give it the coveted board game famous Walk of Fame Gold Star? I recognize that this game has flaws. It's expensive. Most people will view it as a one-and-done type situation, so they won't want to pay that like that first cost to get into it. But the amount of fun that I have had with Time Stories means that I have to give it the board game Famous Gold Star. Even, this is, like I said, like we mentioned earlier, this is our second time recording this episode. After recording this section for the first time, all I wanted to do was go back and play Time Stories. <laughs> and I've I just moved. So I've got a new group of people I can share this with. <laughs> yeah, like mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Michael? Do you give it the board game famous gold star? Well, Edge of Tomorrow got the name Live, Die, Repeat. And last time we recorded and we lost the file, I did not give it the gold star. 
And so this is record. Don't give it the gold star. Repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible joke. I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm not a big fan of other escape room games. I believe Time Stories was the first one I played. I believe Time Stories is the most memorable. But I think it is hard for me to find value in the games yet. And I don't don't feel comfortable giving time stories the um the gold star where i played the first mission and i i haven't really had the desire to play any of the other missions and you said that you've played all the missions multiple times so so you know that's our difference in opinion which which is fine i had fun you can have fun one and done yeah well i say yeah right that but i'm worried that we're gonna lose our file again and we'll have to start over until we get this right which ends with you giving it the gold star (laughs) (laughs) Save. Save right now. Save right now. Backing everything up. (laughs) And now it's time for Brother Talk, the part of the podcast where we talk about really whatever we feel like talking about. And this fortnight, we're talking about The Teach, how to teach board games. Michael, you want to take this one away? Well, David, I believe... Actually, I know that you teach a lot more board games than I do. You own more board games. You actually know how to teach more board games than you own. I think that was a fun fact on our Instagram. Shout out to our Instagram, at BoardGameFamous. But I do not shy away from teaching. And when I do, I try to break it down into these basic steps. Once you get everything set up, The first thing you do is explain the theme of the game. A lot of times you have a bunch of random cardboard, paper, or whatever pieces, you know, figurines in front of you. Though the theme of the game may not have the best connection to the actual mechanics, it does provide context to the game and it can provide context to your enjoyment as you play. So explaining the theme is a lot of fun and almost necessary all the time. The second thing I do is how do you win? It's something that you want to keep in mind as you teach the game that there is a way to win. Is it a standard Euro game where it's the person who has the most points at the end? Is it a different kind of victory where it's the first person to place a certain number of stars just like in Euphoria? Yeah, just let people know. This is the goal. So as I explain the mechanics, just keep in mind that at the end of the day, this is what you're trying to do. And it may not end up matter mattering for first place. May take multiple plays, but whatever. And then finally, whenever you get, a, get into actually teaching the core mechanics of the game, I try to break it down into the different phases as best as possible, saying, all right, Here's phase blah, blah, blah. Here's what's going to happen. Here's phase two. Here's what's going to happen. It's like how earlier whenever I was describing dominant species of the first phase is everyone placing their action pawns. And then the second phase is actually executing those action pawns. And then just going through, oh, phase one, um, you're going to place your action action pawns in here. That's Here's how that works. 
Phase two, you're going to execute the action pawns. That's how this is how this is work. Let me go through all the actions one by one. Blah 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 blah. So they have an idea of the structure. There's a lot of idiosyncrasies whenever you're teaching that just like, hey, in phase three, you're going to do this. You're going to get these kinds of cards. I'm not going to explain what those cards do until phase five because <laughs> it, do- it doesn't really fit well right here. <laughs> but don't worry. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And just having a structure is is what it's all about. But David, you, oh, professor of warning people how to play. What is your philosophy? Well, first, before my philosophy, I'm going to give a little bit of backstory. So I talked about... Uh, I talked about how Voices in My Head was one of the worst games I've played in a while. It is not the worst game experience that I've ever had. That would fall to the game Transylvania Curses and Traitors. Now, that game I'm not really going to talk about in this scenario. I'm not really going to talk about in this podcast. But it was significant for me because we didn't know how to play it before. uh, before Before we sat down. And I sat there trying to figure out the rules as we were setting up. And in the end, it was just a miserable experience. And from then on, I vowed to never let that happen to anybody in my game group ever again. So I always learn the rules ahead of time, and I'm the one who does all the teaching. So I think you hit a lot of the, a lot of the good points. One thing that you should know is if you're teaching the game before you invite people over to play it, you need to learn how to play the game. Whether that's reading the rules watching Rodney Smith's Watch It Played videos, whatever it takes, you need to know the game inside and out. That's one of the one of the big things. Um, another thing is you need to know what philosophy of teaching your group prescribes to. Because I am the kind of person who likes to learn the entire game before we play. And then other people are, oh, learn as you play. Ellen hates learn as you play and will refuse to play that way. <laughs> The, the whole point of board game experience. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of this podcast, I described dominant species with uh, four sets of hot buzzwords. You know, action cue, worker placement, tile movement, hex exploration. To people who have played a lot of board games, that means something to them. If you're playing with people you've never played with before, you need to gauge, do they know what a worker placement is? Do they know what drafting is? Do they know what deck building is? You need to know who your audience is when you're teaching that game. So you need to know how much information you can kind of front load off of their their previous knowledge. Games are not that unique, except for maybe voices in my head and anything that comes from unexpected games. They're typically built on each other. So you can say something like worker placement, and that's 25 to 50 percent of the rules right there Uh, so just know your audience when you're teaching your game now everybody it's not about how smart people are to learn a game it's just how everybody learns um so you gotta sushi go before you can blood rage you know you gotta understand the basic concept of drafting before you play a more complicated drafting game that introduces other mechanisms I wouldn't necessarily say starting with Sushi Go, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just a, it's just an easy example for drafting. <laughs> Teaching games is, is a difficult thing to do. You need to know the game inside and out. You need to have it structured properly. And if you're, if you're not comfortable teaching the game, you need to find somebody who, like me, is a, is a unicorn and 
teaches all the games that they own or teaches other people's games because they know how to play other people's games. Anything else you want to say about the teach? No, just, I guess our recommendations are, because we've played a lot of board games, someone needs to how to play the board game before you sit down and play the try to play the board game. All right, don't, don't sit down there and have someone read the, through the rule book beforehand. It makes things difficult for everyone. Wise words to live by. And without musical accompaniment, our next section is Mail Time. And this Fortnite's Mail Time comes from someone that I've known for a little bit of time. Our brother Andrew. <laughs> His question is, what game's theme is the most disconnected from the actual mechanics? Yeah, this question came about, he told me, after he played a game of Love Letter and really didn't understand what he was doing in the game. He was having fun, but thematically you are... The card you have in front of you shows which character has your love letter and you're trying to get it as close as you can to the to the princess. But the gameplay doesn't really reflect that. It doesn't really make any sense. So he was just curious what games we play where the mechanisms don't make sense. I, th- I think... I think it's pretty easy for me. The, the one, the one, the first one that pops to my head, and that is Sushi Go. And and as we mentioned earlier, Sushi Go is a drafting game. So you get a handful of cards with different kinds of sushi on them. You keep one card and you pass the rest of the cards to your neighbor. And I think that game is pretty unrealistic because I don't pass my sushi. I just eat my sushi. I'm not going to share my sushi with my neighbor unless that neighbor is my girlfriend. But <laughs> uh, I think it's pretty unrealistic for me to be passing around sushi. <laughs> pretty much any any abstract strategy game that has any kind of theme on it, the mechanisms don't match. Your abstract strategy games are games like chess or Go, but games in the modern hobby want themes pasted on them. So uh, one of my personal favorites is Quantum, where you have spaceships flying around the galaxy trying to colonize planets but your spaceship are dice and you colonize planets by having dice around a planet equal to that planet's number value and it doesn't really make any sense thematically but it's a whole lot of fun as a self-professed euro euro game lover uh most of the games that i play have mechanisms that don't make sense in the fact of what you are doing Uh, most of the comics that i make are about uh, are about games oh yeah i make a comic strip full frontal board games check it out i have i have made comics in the past but most there of the might com- there there might be a link to it in the description <laughs> the comics that i make were always about games that had mechanisms that didn't really make sense to with what you were doing for example there was a photosynthesis is a game where your action points are based on the amount of light that you've collected and I can understand growing your tree with light. That makes sense. But falling over and or like chopping and harvesting your tree to score points with light? That, that doesn't make any sense. Or in Blood Rage, the currency that you have in that is rage. It's your it's your uh in it's your income. It's your it's what you use to pay for actions. But you can't take any actions if you don't have any rage even if that action is free. And you're just not mad enough to do anything? I don't understand what's happening there. 
What, what was that uh, that one firefighting game that you were talking about? Oh yeah, it was uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. That one's a fairly thematic game, but where it falls apart for me is when you get to a a disc that you're supposed to rescue, you flip it over to see if it was one a false alarm or B. I don't know why I switched from one to B. <laughs> or keeper can't stop now. Can't stop now. <laughs> or B, a person that you're supposed to rescue. Sometimes those people that you're supposed to rescue are adorable little animals, like a puppy or a kitten. But you know what? As a firefighter, my top priority would be people. But I'm a horrible human for leaving that puppy there to die in a fire when Fun there's fact. other people to rescue. Fun fact, whenever we play, we play that you have to rescue the dog and the cat, or else you just don't win. <laughs> no matter you how never many know. people you rescue. <laughs> but you never know. It's to the fun. <laughs> <laughs> whenever a mechanism doesn't match what you're doing in the game, like thematically, I like to say just like in real life. <laughs> because that usually helps. For example, in Great Western Trail, when Absolutely. you get up to Kansas City... You have to ditch any duplicate cows. Why? Are people in Kansas City that picky? When you get your cattle to Kansas City, you've got to dis discard any duplicates. Just like in real life. We already got one. <laughs> it's like, oh, you brought me a Guernsey? Awesome, thank you. Oh, another Guernsey? I mean, this one's just not as good. I don't want to pay for it. Why? Why are those rules in there? Thanks for making it to the end of another podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord in the link below. Or you can find us on Instagram using the link below. Or you can read one of David's comics in the link below. Well, now you made it, so I have to post it. Yeah, I've said it twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, and catch us again in another fortnight. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye.